Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Polychromatic Podcast. Um, this is episode nine. Uh, it's been a while since you've heard from us, but we've been busy with uh, COVID for the past, um, well, we haven't had COVID for the past three weeks or four weeks, but uh, we did have it um, three weeks ago and uh, we were just recovering from it. So wanted to apologize to any of our listeners that have been uh, looking for an episode and not finding any online. Um, that's a large reason why we don't have, we have none of them uh, put out recently. And um, we just um, attended last night a Limb Preservation Foundation. Um, it was very, um, very revealing. You know, it's it a great, great um, experience. Got to meet and network with a lot of people. Um, a lot of people in the space of limb preservation as far as uh, technologists, um, people that are into biomechanical, um, the biomechanics of uh, prosthetics. And, um, and also they had, uh, you know, some athletes that were even running on prosthetics. And um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. What do you think? Hi, this is Elaine, and uh, gosh, I've missed you guys a ton. Um, crazy how time gets away with us from us, but as Zach said, we both had COVID and just taken us a while to recover. Um, the limb preservation event was absolutely phenomenal. I I couldn't believe one of the uh, guest speakers was talking about she's actually an Olympic um athlete and she was doing pole vaulting with a limb and saw pictures of that and man she's so buffed out she looked fantastic and it's just really cool it was really cool to meet a lot of different people and hear their stories and actually what they're doing with their lives and it, it was just really powerful to be around all of them yesterday I really enjoyed it enjoyed it thanks for inviting me Zach I appreciate it yeah it was a lot of fun and I got um well <laughs> shouldn't say it this way, but I got conned into going by my, um, physical therapist. He's an awesome guy. He's a guy from Anschutz. Um, he's actually the director down there. And, uh, he, you know, said, Hey, you know, if you apply for a scholarship in all likelihood, you'll, you'll receive it. You just need to apply for it. And, um, I did, and I got it. I, I almost didn't, almost didn't get it because, I don't know, just with everything going on, I've just not been really been on top of my email email. So, um, but anyways, the, um, the topic for tonight is uh, criminal justice, or as I call it, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember what I, I was going to call the, the title of this, this podcast. I was gonna, I guess I was going to call it criminal injustice, um, in this country and, uh, you know, how you've got a lot of money, how you can better defend yourself you know, how, um, basically in, uh, court, they say that, you know, it's all supposed to be logic, but a lot of emotion is involved with the decision-making of whether or not someone's guilty or innocent. Um, you know, we also want to talk about, um, the privatization of, of prisons and jails and, um, just basically how the system is broken, essentially, and how a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but some people end up going to jail even when they're innocent. And it's a real tragedy because, you know, it's like pretty much there are also a lot of crimes out there. It's like either you have to pay a fine or you have to do the jail time. So for a rich person, they just pay, pay the money, you know? It's kind of crazy because 
a lot of people wrongfully convicted. I just kind of looked up a statistic of 39%. That's pretty high. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some of those people spend many, many years in prison, and you cannot regain that time back. I mean, think about that. Think about when you're in prison as well, when you come out, the world is going to be so different. It's got to it's got to be such a crazy thing to come out and and see where the world is today, how it's advanced from the time you went in because you are basically locked up, locked down and you don't know what's going on out there. So, uh yeah, I I have a kind of a passion about this and I think that it's really really very tragic because you know, you read these stories, everyone's got their own story that's been wrongfully convicted. But some of them, you know, um, think of it 20, 30 years behind bars. And it's a totally a different life in there. It's a life that if you've never experienced before, you've got to learn how to survive. And it's got to actually really change a person in many ways. And then how do you, Zach, ever get those years back? I mean, you know, if you think about it, most everyone, not everyone that would go would have family, but just think, you know, you could have lost people that you loved during that time um, that, you know, you couldn't have said goodbye to if they'd been sick or, you know, perhaps you have children that may be little kids that are now parents. Uh, that all has got to be, there's got to be a real grief to that and um, really getting to know, like if you have children when they're younger and, you know, it's 20 years later, those kids will have turned into totally different human beings than what they once were. You know, you're, it's like getting to know people all over again. Well, and you yourself will change while you're in there as well. And once you're in the system, it's really difficult to get out, unfortunately, because, you know, um, and then, you know, the... You know, we'll have to try to break this up and do our best to try to keep this organized, but we might be jumping around a little bit. But one thing that comes to mind is, you know, that prosecutors are so hell-bent on getting their prosecutions. They don't care whether or not someone's innocent or not. And um, the way that they go about it, you know, with plea bargaining and whatnot, they've got, they they convince people to self-incriminate even when they may not be guilty because they say, hey, you know, you're going to play hardball with us. You're going to waste our time. Well, then we're going to, you know, count just, uh, I, I don't know how it works, but, you know, they're going to double up on the amount of um, uh, charges and everything. And the other part too, even before jail and all that, you know, if you've been charged with a crime, okay, not proven guilty even, that's something that can also follow you around as well because, you know, employers, they ask that question. They've been, um, and fortunately my mom nor I have never dealt with that, but imagine answering a job on a job application I was charged of this crime, but never convicted of it. Is that even a fair question for employers to ask? Well, I'd say absolutely, kind of absolutely not. I mean, in the first place, um, going along with that thought where you're at right now, Zach, I would say that people do change, okay? Even if someone is guilty of something, they can go to prison and work on themselves and come out a different person. That actually can happen. And for someone to be labeled as being a cert, just because they've been in jail or prison to be labeled by that does not, is a disservice to any human being, because let's face it, even it could happen to most anyone. Um, An example might be if I hit a pedestrian, God forbid, 
um, and killed them, I could get charged with vehicular homicide and go to prison. And, you know, when you talk about wrongfully accused, as you were speaking about, Zach, I just wanted to say that um, according to what I was reading about is that most of the wrongfully accused people um, is due to the fact that of witnesses. So you're going by someone being able to determine whether or not you were the one at the, at the scene of the crime. And that's where they say most of the, the false accusations or charges are, is the falsely accused, is that people are misidentified. It actually is extremely common uh, for people to have a false memory about a situation. And also for um, the witnesses, if there are a group of witnesses, to affect one another's testimony. And, you know, um, there have been studies that have been done on this where, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll flash something fast and they'll say, you know, were the lines all the same length or not? And what will happen is there will be one person that says, oh, no, number three and number five were different sizes or something. And then the person originally thought they're all the same size, but because someone else said it, they themselves believe mm. that um, they were uh, different sizes. Well, and also... Even though they originally thought they were all the same size, per their own judgment... No, absolutely. And also, you know, when they are questioning you, it can be so intense that along the same guideline or along the same lines of what you're talking about, when they're questioning you and you're in that place and it can get to the point so much that you could also, you could really believe that you are guilty, even if you're not, you know, because it's kind of like a brainwashing. Yeah. And, you know, there are dirty cops out there and, just like the you know prosecutor wants their conviction, detectives want their conviction too. You know, um, there was a video I watched online, and unfortunately, I don't remember what it was. I, I can say it had JCS in it. I just don't remember the guy's name. If his name's Chris or something, um, I watched these series of YouTube videos recently, and basically, what happened is they called him in. So first, they arrested him, processed him, put him in a cell and then brought him in for questioning. Basically, the guy was a heroin addict. He, um, there was a bank, or sorry, not a bank, um, a convenience store, I think, or it might have been a bank that was robbed nearby. And um, nearby to where he was, he was pa- he's passed out because he was using heroin at his friend's house, and the dog's barking really, really loud. And so what ends up happening is, you know, he's coming out to see what's going on, they find him, they arrest him, and so they start questioning him, and he's like, dude, I'm just a junkie, you know, I was inside my house, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he very clearly states that that he has no idea what the detective's talking about, and then the detective starts asking some, um, you know, not leading questions, but he's trying to get him to sign something, and he's reading, first he starts off with reading his Miranda rights, which he's, you know, they're required by law to do. And they're recording all this. And so they're really trying to put a lot of pressure on him with, um, with it. And, you know, eventually he says, you know, I'm not talk- talking to you guys. And he said it not so nice. Uh, he said a little more colored words than that. He gets put back in a cell. And then two hours later, they pull him back out. 
and they read him as Miranda writes again. And you might be wondering, why is it, why are they reading him as Miranda writes every single time they're questioning him? Well, maybe that might be a requirement. I don't think so, though. I think it's just the, for the first one. It's because they were doing separate attempts to try to pin this guy down because then they could have just thrown out that other video and said this was the video that showed that he admitted to it. And so, you know, when they bring him back in, they give him a Coke. And um, at this point, he's going through withdrawals. He's saying, man, do you have some methadone? He said, no, do you have a prescription for it? He said, he said no, man, but, you know, I, I need to go to a hospital. I'm not feeling well. So he's going through withdrawals, and he's pairing all of this police, op, uh, this detective's um, attempts to try to pin this on him. And he knows his legal rights. And so once you ask for a lawyer, that's it. It's supposed to be shut down. But this detective was bound and determined to try to get him to admit to it. And of course, there's the show, um, A Making of a Murderer. I think you saw that as well. It was regarding that kid that, um, I, I don't know how else to say it, but um, was mentally retarded. And um, he, I don't remember, but basically he got, he got pinned uh, with the crime and this other guy got pinned uh, with it as well because the detectives basically intimidated him into admitting it. And um, so anyways, the bottom line is they have their strategies, you know, um, and it's, it's pretty awful to think that, you know, <laughs> here, and, and, you know, it's not like he was an, wasn't answering the guy's questions. He, he told him, hey, I was passed out. I'm just a junkie you know, and they can't do anything about his heroin thing because that's unrelated to the crime. But, you know, oftentimes they, they play the system in a way that, you know, is not right. Well, you know, when you talk about that, Zach, the first thing I think of is like, well, what an opportunity. Um, someone's using heroin. You're thinking, oh, they're not even here. They don't even realize what they've done. They're so checked out. They could be doing, they could have done something that they don't know. So, you already, there's a generalization that can be made about that. But do you also agree that sometimes that what they're just trying to do is just get a person yes. so they have that person yes. for a crime so they can say, hey, we found him. Yep. It's all dropped. And then and then people, especially if it's someone who, who uh, could be um, um, a nuisance or a, a problem for the community, to get to let people relax and say, hey, we've got them. Don't worry about it. We got the person. So do you think there's a lot of that that goes on? Yeah, I think sometimes they just arrest someone and they say they have the person without actually being confident that they have the person. And then there's also um, suppression of information during court cases. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think that the system doesn't, they don't care in the sense whether or not they get the right person because it's better for the community to show that they're doing their job. Mm -hmm. If they catch the person, they say they catch the person, have caught the person, um, then to be like, we have absolutely no idea who the person is, especially if it's a very egregious crime, you know, it's been committed. I got a question for you, Zach, because yeah. you're just, you're just a real tech guy. And I mean, I just was wondering this. Um, they can probably track pretty much on a GPS where someone is. So just in case like, um, someone was happened to be in the area of the crime and they just happened to, I'm going to go back to what you're talking about 
just with that incident of that gentleman that got wrongfully accused that was using heroin. Maybe he was out earlier, close in that area, because a lot of times maybe, you know, they focus on the area of where the crime is. Like the GPS, do they, is that admissible in court? I'm not even sure about that. Like, can they look at someone's history on their GPS system and use that? Yeah, I, they, I don't know if it's specifically GPS, but they can um, triangulate using the cell tower as a position of a person in their cell phone based on the relative distance, distance strength of two different towers. Um, and so they can, they can pinpoint people in a specific, not, not a very, you know, pinpoint area, but a pretty accurate area. Um, I think with the um, cell towers, it, it's actually fairly accurate. Um, and then, with the GPS, I don't know if that's part of it or not. It might be. Uh, as far as I'm aware, GPS, I think, just um, sends your co the coordinates to the device. I don't think they have, like, necessarily a register of all devices in their specific locations. Okay. And every cell phone has an IME IMEI number that's specific, um, that's unique. So, you know, if you're the owner and, you know, I guess if they could subpoena Verizon or... AT&T, you know, Sprint, T-Mobile. Um, and I'm pretty sure they even have a backdoor into that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? To be able to use the cell towers to to find this. I don't even know if it requires a subpoena because in today's day and age, we there's no such thing as privacy. And unfortunately, the more that we put ourselves out there online, um, <laughs> it, it makes me feel like there should this should be a, a segue to our sponsor. We don't have a sponsor. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> I watch so many YouTube, yeah, YouTube awesome. videos that are talking about NordVPN and all that. And we don't want to give free time to any specific person at this point, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I dig it. I love it. But, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was, just, going, I was just going to say to you that, you know, that could actually work, I guess, either way. But um, I was just thinking of ways that they can actually, I mean, it, it's supposed to be wrong until proven guilty and that there has to be a certain amount of evidence that would uh, be accurate in charging the person. And I mean, we I know most everyone knows that DNA's been in effect for quite a few years now, and it's supposed to be extremely helpful in, in tying people to certain crimes. But my question is, I guess I'm full of questions to you tonight, Zach, because it seems yeah. I think you've done a little more reading on this than I have. But I was just going to say that I'm wondering if um, there's ever time that DNA is there, but that the prosecutors do not bring it into the court trial because it is not accurate or it's not, to, it's not exclusive to that person. Do you know anything about that? Um. I mean, I think the prosecutors, I've heard of stories where prosecutors have known of evidence or potentially an alibi that makes the person innocent, and they somehow have a motion to suppress that, or they just, mm -hmm. you know, it, what's weird is that in the process of, normally in a court case, is my understanding, there's a process of discovery where... Right the prosecutor has to provide all the information they have mm -hmm. that, that they're going to be using to prosecute someone. So the defense attorney and the defendant have a chance of actually defending themselves of the charges. Yes. But it doesn't seem to be a two-way street in the sense that 
when it comes to the defendant, the defendant the, and the defendant's lawyer might have information that shows something that shows the person um, maybe innocent or wasn't around or something like that. And the prosecutor somehow through some legal loophole or something, um, or they them, they themselves through their own investigative, you know, investigatory process, um, they, you know, understand that there's something contradictory to this person being, you know, case and dry, guilty, and they do not bring it to court. See, I think there should be, and I don't know if there is or not, you may know the answer to this. So I'm thinking that when we talk about specific, like like DNA, which would be for the prosecution to find, to, pro- to provide the evidence, I think the the de, uh, defendant's attorney should be allowed to look at that as well. Yeah. So in their investigation, sometimes the prosecutor will find things, you know, in their process of trying to find a person guilty, you know, evidenced against them. But sometimes they might actually come across other evidence in that process that shows the opposite. And from my understanding, sometimes they suppress that and they don't even let the defense attorney know that because it destroys their case. Absolutely. But it seems to me, I still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to stick on this just one thought, but it's, it's like, I'm just thinking about this strongly now that if in fact the prosecutors do find evidence, then if it's fair, that evidence should be brought forward to the, the defendant. But see, I guess when, as I'm, my, I'm, I'm uh, processing this in my mind. I'm thinking about a lot of different things around it. But I guess that wouldn't help the prosecution because they're building their case. So they're not going to give you their information on their side of how they're building their case. They're required to, though. That's what I'm saying. But, but, so, but, but they don't. You're right. So basically, it is a law that if they do find evidence, that defendant's attorney should be able to see that before a trial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but, you know, that they, they understand they don't have a case then. And so they they suppress it themselves. I don't even think it's a motion to suppress. They just suppress it. But yeah. anyways, what I just wanted to say is the court system is horribly, horribly taxed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, right to due process now means you might spend six, eight months in the slammer before you have a court case. Well, and with COVID, it's been pushed way back. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still catching up from COVID. And because it's, you know, relatively, it hasn't been that long since COVID was... It, Till actually things have become more back to being more normalized, I guess I should say. But um, so there's that. But you're absolutely right. It takes a long time. But, you know, it's like it's, it's kind of like a guessing game. I mean, it's almost like a game they play because if it is innocent till proven guilty and then they don't actually have the evidence, they suppress the evidence, but they find other ways in which in which to wrongfully accuse a person, to me, that is, my God, I think that is, that that in itself... It's criminal. It's criminal, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so get ready for this, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to discuss two things, and it's, I'm sure it's going to get you excited to talk about because it's something that, you know, has um, unfortunately affected our community too. But, um, But first, let's just talk about this. What about all the people that were prosecuted for weed charges that are still in jail, oh, even yes. though it's now legal to smoke weed, to possess weed, and specifically in Colorado, all, hallucinatory, all, all hallucinatory drugs, 
psychedelics specifically yes, are now legalized. Uh, mushrooms, mm -hmm. I, I believe also LSD, um, DMT, they're all legal, right? So what about the people that, you know, have been charged of those things? That's the reason why I said earlier, it's once you're part of the system, it's hard to get out and it's hard to receive, um, you know, help when you're in jail because a lot of people don't have the money or the resources. But um, before we go into that, I just want to say there is the case too where when people, let's talk about when people are are guilty of something real quick and how they get off on technicality. So I'm thinking of the Keen Super Shooter in Boulder, Colorado. Yes. That, so this guy, for, for, for our listeners, if you're not familiar, it was on the national news, but I'll just tell you about it real quickly here. So basically, it was in March, I believe, of 2022 or 21? 21. 21, okay. Mm -hmm. He uh, drove a car from Denver, um, I believe specifically Aurora, to Boulder. He didn't even park in the parking lot. He drove all the way up to the door, ran inside. He had all, like AR um, assault rifles and a bunch of other things. And he went in and he shot and killed 18 people, including a police officer. And this guy pled insanity. And guess what? He got insanity. Even though this shows premeditation, okay? Pretty premeditation, Patna. You know, when you go, when you go in with all those weapons, you know, and um, it's, it's pathetic. And then the other thing I wanted to mention real quick, and we can talk about him, is also recently in the area, and apparently this I I didn't realize this. I it, I'm part of a local group in this area on Facebook, and I found out about it. There was a 23 year old girl that died recently. She was driving in her car, and so and someone threw a rock through her windshield while she was while they're going the other direction and killed her on impact. And apparently, kids nowadays basically are. Um, taking pieces of cement or rocks and going on top of bridges and dropping them on cars. And it's like a hazing kind of thing that they do for one another. Like it's really like you're really, so you really suck or like they have to pay a penalty if they miss the car or something. And so it's like, it's like a gambling game that they play and they're killing people. And so these kids, I, 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 um, I forget what the case was, but um, the one I was, I, I did research on, um, the last guy's last name is white. He was a father of three and he also had a wife and they were all in the car. And when this, um, piece of cement went or rock went through his window, killed him on impact. They didn't mention about him losing control or whatever, but, uh, apparently I guess the, the mother and the kids were fine, but they lost a, a dad that quick. That's and guess what? They were underage. They were going to be tried as ad adults. The The main perpetrator dude, he got, I think, second degree murder or something. He's only getting six or eight years for it. And then the other kids are only getting one year probation for killing another human being. That That is so absolutely tragic and sick. And how can that be a game? I mean, I realize like you're talking about more of a hazing thing. But you know what the reality is that when kids, and I'm going to call them kids because that's really what they are, they're real young, but they, they still don't have much maturity, decide to do something like that. 
it's so easy for their peers to really egg them on. You know how that is. It's like peer pressure. That peer mm-hmm. pressure can be so strong that are those kids even thinking about the outcome of what this can be? Because how tragic to be in the car and have your dad killed right before your very eyes and see the children see that. And then I'm thinking, well, that could even get more horrendous than that because if that person loses control of their car, it could be many other casualties or many other people could get hurt because um, obviously if they get hit in the head or or whatever, um, windshield breaks and they can't see where they're going, whatever happens when, when that occurs, person can lose control of their car and they could very easily hit other vehicles that are on the road. Yeah. It's, it's really fucked up to think that someone's made a game out of this and apparently it's a national thing. And, um, I believe they were middle schoolers and middle schoolers. Oh God. Is that how I don't, they might've been freshmen in high school, but I think they were middle schoolers. We're talking about as young as maybe 11, 12 years old. Yeah. And they think it's funny when they, when it hits the car. That's so sad. And then, of course, they don't stick around. And I don't know if they watch the news or not, but they're killing people. Oh, my God. That's just, you know what? That's absolutely terrifying. So just, you know, for our people listening to this, be aware, because if this is happening around the United States, be aware of bridges you're going under. If you see people loitering on those bridges, be very, very careful. Uh, because the way it sounds from what Zach's reporting is that it's happening a lot and just be mindful of that. That is, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up to me, Zach, because that's, that's absolutely terrifying because, you know, when I go in under a bridge, I'm not really looking on the top of that bridge. Mm-hmm. So bringing that up to me is like, uh, I'm going to put that in my hip pocket and go, oh, bridge coming up ahead, glance up on top of the bridge and yeah. see if people are standing yeah. out there. And you know what? Don't get a false sense of security if you see like a, a gated fence, you know, a slotted fence where it's wide enough to be able to allow a a, um, a, a flat rock through or a smaller rock through. Really, the bridges need to have cameras set up, number one. And number two, um, they need to be installing uh, fencing over those those um, yeah, you slotted know, fences. You know what? It'd be really nice if the whole bridge would be encased in fences. That yeah. would really, really help. Yeah. Because, you know, that would, we also, totally another topic, but just going to say it because it, it people do this. People do often um, end their lives jumping off of a bridge. Yeah. So if they were, I'm just saying they would be doing, if they were, if that happened to be a new policy that all, all bridges need to be encased, you know, mm-hmm. at the top too, it'd be pretty hard to do this. But, you know, I'm thinking, I mean, someone, yeah, I know. I guess someone could still lob one over, but they would be so much more difficult. It would kind of take away from the game. Yeah, but if it was like arched with the fencing Mm -hmm. on top. Yeah. But I guess people could cut holes in it, but it's less likely, you know. And I also think they need to implement a policy. If you're loitering on a bridge, it should be a felony. Yeah. Like, there should be no reason that you're on a bridge. Like, you should, you know, and if they have cameras set up, like, if it's your goal to get from one side of the bridge to the other then there should be no stopping. I I wonder how they're actually, well, I guess if there's no cameras, that's a good point. But they would have to be parking the vehicle. And I'm assuming if they've got a a lot of rocks or whatever, it would be some sort of truck or something like even just a 
a pickup truck where they can mm-hmm. have it in the back. Yeah, that's what they do. A lot of them uh, will have a flatbed pickup truck. They'll go around, they'll pick up a bunch of rocks, they'll fill the back of the truck with a bunch of rocks. And then I think what they do is when no one's looking, or I don't know how they do it, but they must just toss them out the back onto the side of the sidewalk and then come back later because you can't park a, a truck on a bridge. That's going to you know raise a lot that's of That's what I was going to say. How? Where do they park? park the truck, number one. And number two, if you're doing it in broad daylight, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, if I see someone in broad daylight with their truck parked off to the side with a, with a large rock or mm-hmm. cement in their hands, first thing I'm going to be doing is calling 911. Yeah. Right? So yeah. how is that happening so much? You know, to be honest, I don't know that the, te- the uh, um, technical aspects of it, but mm-hmm. the way I understand it is that they're filling up the, again, the flatbed of a truck with a bunch of different large size rocks and somehow they're transporting them over the bridge to use them. And I'm guessing that they probably don't park the truck on the bridge, but they park it somewhere nearby. But I'm thinking that they find an easy way of being able to deposit them. So probably they have a couple of people in the back. They probably just drive real slow when people aren't around and they probably just throw a whole bunch of rocks out oh. onto the sidewalk is what I'm guessing. I don't know. Oh, that's true. They may just have people in the back when they're mm-hmm. driving across. Or they have someone that's driving that literally is just delivering rocks in every few minutes. My God, that's just terrible. Um, yeah, so just be super careful. I just wanted to back up for a moment uh, so we stay pretty much on topic. Zach was mentioning the, the the person that drove from Aurora to Boulder, Colorado to kill a bunch of people. And, um, you know, just as we're talking about, we feel like there's oftentimes not justice. Well, it goes the way of someone also being being um um not innocent being guilty sorry could not find the word for a moment being guilty of something and you know when when there's pictures of a person actually being walked out you see that person did that that's like that is a hundred percent evidence and that person, in order for them to get the guns, the ammunition together, to drive all the way from Aurora, which is a distance to Boulder, mm-hmm. that person ends up in a mental institution until they can be deemed um, that they are well enough to go to attend their trial. That's That, to me, is injustice, just as well as people being wrongfully accused. Because you're protecting someone. And why? You're giving them more rights. I hear that that in in certain cases that um, they're treated really well in jail. Well, and I'm sure that if it, like, that one became a nationwide case. Everyone, I mean, that was all over everywhere. Yeah. And particularly, I think one of the biggest things is because it was Boulder, Colorado, which is Boulder, Colorado is Boulder, Colorado. And if you haven't heard of Boulder, Colorado, you're not alive today because yeah. it is like Boulder, Colorado is big. I mean, everyone and their mother, there's been, I think, 800, 900,000 people that have moved here in the past five years. Well, I was just uh, telling Zach that I was just watching movies, having a movie night. And I kid you not, there are three movies that happened to come on and they talked about Boulder, Colorado. I'm going, whoa, everyone knows about Boulder, Colorado. But anyway, Boulder, Colorado is just very well known for being this safe location. It's, it's extremely beautiful it is very um very um 
nice because with, there's a lot of uh, thing. Well, for one thing, there's a lot to do in, in Colorado in general. But Boulder is at the foothills, at the base of the foothills. And it's very beautiful because you don't have to even go that far. There's lots of trails and everything. So it's a lot to do around there in Boulder. But it's like a little sleepy town where people just love to go hike and things like that. So this was a huge thing. And um, I think one of the reasons why it made national news is because there was a person there that actually videotaped it. And I watched that and it was like, oh my God, it was actually like being there watching it the way he did it. And I think that even made it, I think that even drew more attention with the media because they interviewed him and they used a lot of his Mm -hmm. recordings and everything. But that was like just crazy because the thing I I couldn't believe is like, like you said, Zach, he pulled, I mean, if he could have driven into the store, he probably would have. He got so close to that store and then someone was walking down the ramp. He shot that person. And then he shot a couple of people outside first. He did. He shot them in the parking lot. And then he walked into King Supers, and usually in King Supers, as many grocery stores, the checkout stands are right by the door. Yeah, so it was a self-checkout where he where yeah. he entered. And it's like, I mean, I also um, know people that live in that area, and they were telling me about that day. It's something that's very not forgotten about easily here, and about how they just heard these gunshots, and they just rapid gunshots. Mm-hmm. And I... I mean, we've talked about this because it's just so tragic and it's just especially very surprising for this area. But uh, to be in a store and like, where do you go? And I actually overheard someone, I was in a restaurant and I don't eavesdrop on people's conversations, but I was by myself, so I wasn't conversing with anyone. And I heard uh, um, a table next to me where one of the guys had been a checker in that King Supers, and he was yeah. talking about to his family what that was like at, right well, afterwards. Think about the psychological damage, number one, and number two, those 18 people, that's not just 18 people, that's 18 people and all their families. Yeah. So that affects a ton of people. And imagine, like, that's what you do for a living. So how do you go back to doing that? You know, how's your family? Te- <laughs> you know, you're, you tell your family, oh, you know, after taking two weeks off, and, and specifically that location was closed down for a year, but they, I think they were transferred to other King Supers in the area. But who wants Stephen Zach, I will not go to that grocery store. I mean, that may sound... It's not, Mom. There, there's things called copycatting. I'm telling you, I see that when I drive, I went um, for a work thing at an Italian restaurant there, Ah, a few months ago. And it was you just, you know, in the same shopping center as that King Supers. And I looked over there and I just felt so sad. I just could feel the 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 um I don't know. It's almost like the energy of mm-hmm. what had happened. And I just looked over there and I went, Oh my God, I I couldn't walk in that store. And Zach and I've had kind of different conversations about this, but I, I said to him, I said, God, can you imagine a family member? Like one thing, one scenario I thought of is what if I'd, I said to Zach, I said, what if I would said, Hey, sweetheart, I need uh, this from the grocery store. Could you run over? I'm making dinner here. Yeah. Could you run over and grab that? And he doesn't come back, doesn't come back, doesn't come back. And I'm going like, where is he? And I, find out there's been a shooting and then I'm the one who sent my son to the store. So we've also got to remember all these families being affected, but there even there's even can be a lot of guilt. I mean, we can be feel guilt, especially if in that scenario or 
thinking like also survivor guilt of thinking like, God, I was going to run to store then. And, and instead I did this or I, whatever, God, that could have happened to me. Right. Um, it's just, my God, that day that happened. And, and I think they ended up plowing a truck into the store or something, didn't they? They, did, a, they, had, a, they had a SWAT vehicle to, to bring the wall down. So that way they could gain uh, another entry point. I'm surprised they even do business because to me, I don't want to go in there. And it's almost like, you know, you see people tearing down buildings. You're going like, that building's perfectly fine. Why are they tearing it down for this new business? To me, I almost think that building should have been totally tor- torn down and rebuilt or something. Um, it just, it really bothers me. And this is, I, I don't know, I, I do have intuition as a person. And it wasn't long before that. I wasn't in that King Supers because it's in a different part of Boulder than I normally would go to if I were in Boulder anyway. But I usually go to the Louisville King Supers. And I was in, out visiting Zach like just a couple months before that. And it was weird how I had this thought about someone coming in that store. and I Which think location it, was it? The Louisville. Oh. And it was, to me, just the way it was kind of set up. I thought, God, if anyone came in here, they could, they could really shoot a lot of people. And then this happened a couple months later, and boy, that blew my mind because I was thinking, why did I even think that? And I know it wasn't at the same King Supers, but it was at a King Supers. Mm-hmm. Why did that even come to my mind? And I thought, God, that's so weird that I thought of that happening and a couple months later it happened and so then for even the longest time at Louisville King Supers they had a a security guard out front right yeah they they they, after the event I think for like three or six months afterwards they hired full-time security guards to try to deter copycats and that sort of thing which um I want to get into that in, in a minute um but for me um what's actually interesting and I don't know I think I might I'm not saying I'm a medium, okay, but I definitely know that um, I do have a gauge of my <laughs> surroundings because I'll tell you what, um, so several years back, um, and it's not been uh, very um, lucrative for me, but um, I've been doing a computer side business for a long time, uh, you know, basically doing computer on sites at people's houses, and I have a, had a customer up there. Um, I'm not sure if it was Deborah or another person, but there were two people that lived up in Table Mesa there. And what I did is um, after I got done um, with the work, um, I was in the area. And um, at the time I had um, a bit of a problem with Nusi yogurts back when Nusi yogurts used to be good and used to not be watered down like the crap they are now. By the way, if you guys are looking for a good substitute um, from uh, Nusa Yogurts, oui, oui. Che- check out We, oui, <laughs> oui, which oui. is yes for yes in French. It's uh, O U I. It's We, oui, uh, and my mom and I are actually learning French right now. We can we can read French, um, you know, and understand what it means and translate it, um, and uh, and we can say it out loud. But we both have difficulty forming sentences and and writing it. Um, but anyways, uh, that's beside the point. I just uh, wanted to say that We is like the way Nusa was and they, they actually sell them in jars. They're, they're wonderful. I think this is the second time we plugged for them. Um, we're not at all sponsored just, just to throw that out there, but might want to be though. <laughs> so anyways, I was coming home and I wanted to stop by there and I was up there and it's up on a plateau. It's up, up kind of high. And I was walking through there. Are you talking about King Supers? Yeah. Okay. And I thought to myself, 
this location feels not safe. Well, guess what? It's the same location where it got shot up a couple of years later. Interesting. You sort of had um, sort of an intuition about it yourself. Mm -hmm. I was weird. in the store like you were. And I said to myself, this layout is not very safe. But specifically when I was outside of all places, right outside the store, I said, this this is Boulder, okay, but it almost seems like a bad part of Denver to me, you know, like I thought, like I just didn't feel safe in, in that area. And I'd hardly ever go by that store. I just happened to be in the area. So um, the second thing I want to say is in that same area, and you're familiar with this, is we want to also talk about police brutality. We'd be amiss to not talk about police brutality in the injustice system where we live in. There was a kid that was going home with his friends and he was intoxicated on alcohol. This was the guy that they tried to put in the back of the oh, truck. Oh, yes. I and he suffocated this. to death. Yeah, that was like on um, uh, Canyon Boulevard in Boulder, I believe. It was It was nearby. Yeah. And so anyways, anyone not familiar with this? So this guy, he went to see you. I think he was in his freshman, sophomore year. It was his 21st birthday. Fine-looking young man and just really very bright. You know, mm -hmm. was doing very well in school. So, and that also leads into profiling. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, him and his friends were walking home. They weren't driving, okay? They were walking home after having gotten drunk, after him having gotten wasted. I'm not sure if he had admitted to using other drugs. It doesn't really matter, okay? But they were kind of carrying him, you know, like not carrying him, but they, you know, had him by the arms and, you know, were, were helping him walk and... And so they're walking along, and out of the blue, police car shows up, uh, and specifically a police SUV. And so they stop him, and I watched the whole thing. It's heartbreaking. But basically, um, you know, they, they're questioning him, and, um, and he said, you know, I, I, he said, um, to be honest, I was drinking tonight, and, you know, I drank too much, and, you know, my friends are just taking me home. We're just, we're just like up two blocks away from the house, and... You know, I'm promised when I go home, I'm going to go to bed and, you know, I'm going to, you know, um, drink some water and sober up and, you know, and sounds really responsible to me. Yeah. And again, they were not driving mm -hmm. a car. They weren't acting wild. They were just helping, you know, for lack of a better term, carry their friend mm -hmm. um, back to their place. Well, the cops stopped them specifically was going to arrest him for intoxication and a bunch of other stuff. I can't remember what well, else. Well, they weren't loitering, right? They no, were just no, walking. No, they were walking. And so, um, you know, basically they got in, uh, I forget what, there, there's a law where you're not supposed to get in someone's way, right? Mm -hmm. Like rite of passage, like right. you're not supposed to. That's what the cop did. You know, he, he's stopping him. And and so what happens is, you know, he's he's... He's not refusing to rest in the sense that, on a physical sense, he's more on principle. Like, like, dude, I don't know why you're such a dick. Like, and that's what people do. You know, they they call cops out when they're doing mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, and cops don't like it. No, you know. And so what they do is they finally get sick and tired of dealing with this guy. They uh, hog tie him, mm -hmm. throw him in the back to take him to uh, the uh, Boulder Detox Center. Well, let's just put it this way. He didn't make it alive to the detox center. Why? Because they just threw him in the back. They hogtied him. And they were so done with him. They just threw him in the back. 
I don't know if these officers were prosecuted for it or not, but um, I think they were. I think I looked it up, and I believe that they were prosecuted um, for for it because you know they, as we know, it's like a George Floyd basically that happened to this kid. Yeah, as we know, he that, suffocated because he was on his stomach and he was so. Um, I don't know if people all know this, but Zach and I are very aware that uh, police have to wear their body cams. And they also have to turn on the recorder in their in their police vehicle. Every time there's they walk, anytime they stop and they are pursuing a case. Yes. And that that doesn't even begin to talk about all the instances of other situations where they turn off body cams and they just try to suppress evidence. I, there was a case with a black guy and they maced him and he ran away. And remember how that guy got away? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then they they uh, tracked him down and they basically beat him to death. Yeah. Yeah. That we were reading about. And that it was actually too. what's ironic is they were black cops, mm-hmm. black cops with the black guy. That's and they, right. Yes. So anyways, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about real quick, if it's okay, if we kind of move on is copycatting. Mm. So, and specifically gun control in schools. Okay. So in my mind, if, by the way, people, okay, if you haven't looked at it, there's a list online of all of the school shootings, a list of all school shootings. If you do your research, you will find on average one school shooting happens every single day, sometimes <laughs> three. And you'll say, oh, that's, no, Zach, that's, there's no way that's accurate. Well, that's because not all of them make the national headlines. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, like, how could that be right? Well, do your research. You will find that this is accurate. I'm not saying it's absolutely every single day, but it averages out to being once every single. So that means 365 school shootings a year and sometimes more. You know what has happened? I think the one that people remember as the beginning or the one that... Also the mile high. Columbine. That's exactly where it's going. Yeah. I'm just saying there's something must be in the air with living a, a mile high because it happened here. Sorry. That's okay. That's where I was going is I was going to say that um, if we look back to when this really be, was a big deal in the beginning was the Columbine shooting that I don't have the date in my mind, but it's been 20 what? I think it was 97 or 98. Yeah. I think. It's been a long time ago. All right. That one was, I think, 13 kids. I don't know. But anyway, that one made national news. I remember what, how huge that was. Oh, my God, there was a school shooting like it was unheard of. We have gotten so desensitized to that because mm-hmm. only the ones where a bunch of kids are killed are the ones that are being yes really making national mm-hmm. news. So what you're talking about here, I think, Zach, is that the desensitization against this happening as as often as it is, as it does is the ones that we really know about are those where a lot of kids or people are being killed the others are just reported and you're absolutely right i was looking at that one day and i don't recall how many even this year i was going are you kidding me i haven't heard about all this happening this year and we're only in the fourth month of the year yeah and so it's become a part of our lives do you realize that yeah it's like oh there's another school shooting well, I'm thinking back before Columbine, and I'm thinking back then there was not that attitude. It's just done their school shooting. It was like, oh, my God, these young kids went into school and actually brutally took people's lives and knew exactly what they're doing, planned it. And 
We know about mass shootings, which there's a lot of those too. People go into different corporations, mm-hmm. maybe someone, there was one pretty recently, someone, I don't recall all of the information about it, but they went into a place because they were upset at specific people and they went in and shot them. So, you know, I mean, we, when you said school shootings, but I believably know that you're correct on that because I, I've read about it as well, but not to even include the mass shootings in addition to school shootings, right? Yeah. And you know what? Some of those are workplaces, like you said, mm-hmm. like I remember there was one with FedEx and specifically the other mass shooting that comes to mind immediately, aside from most recently with Keen Supers and Boulder was that guy that uh, went into the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, man, yeah. The cinemas. Mm-hmm. I think this was in like 2011, 2012. This in guy, Aurora. In Aurora. This guy was a pre-med major at CU Denver. And this guy, I'm sure you guys already heard of this one because it was again national news. But he basically went in and shot up a ton of people. I think he thought he was the Joker or something. It, it is entirely insane. Um I forget what the guy's name is off the top of my head, but he's got a very memorable name. But um, but you know what's funny as Republicans, their solution for gun gun violence in schools, have you heard the, the, I mean, it's not new news. They've been saying it for years, but they've been saying it again recently. Arm every teacher with a gun. That'll do it. Yep. Add more guns to the school, you know, because there's nothing preventing a kid from you know, knocking a kid, knocking up a, a a teacher over the head with something and taking the key and having a gun don't even have to worry about getting it into the, you know, there's some of the ideas that Republicans come up with. It's like cartoony to me. I, I just don't understand. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be political here and, and, and say that, you know, I think it's absolutely insane. Some of the ideas they come up with. Well, these semi-automatic rifles, what are people legally buying those for? I mean, okay. I can understand someone who, if they like the sport of hunting, which is... Well, and you know what? That means you're a bad fucking shot if you need an assault rifle to go hunting, but yeah. No, I'm just saying in general, you know, I can understand where, you know, I think it's fair that if someone wants to have, wants, enjoys the sport of hunting, I'm not going to be judgment about, judgmental about that. My husband was that way. I didn't, it's not exactly the way I roll, but, you know, he explained to me that, the reason why he does it is like a lot of elk die of starvation and um, because they're so heavily populated in the winter, there's not enough food for them all to eat. So, you know, I never looked at it from that perspective. But moving forward, and regardless, my question is, when you go hunting, you don't use a semi-automatic rifle to use do Use a that. bolt action. Yeah. Most of the time. So my question is, why the hell do we allow people to buy... These semi-automatic rifles, like, uh, what do you need a semi-automatic rifle for? It's not for hunting. Would mm-hmm. you please tell me what we use them for? Why are they, why are they legal to even buy? What are they, what are they for? To me, I'm looking at that like I think of military mm-hmm. out to kill. I think of like someone that has one of those is probably not everyone. Okay. I just want to say, I'm not accusing everyone out there that has one that they're out to kill people. Definitely not. But I would like to know what the purpose of that type of a rifle is, because to me, I look at it as wanting or needing to kill, like in the case of war or in case of, of something with, with, if you're hap- happen to be in the military, 
But for a civilian, what do you need a semi-automatic rifle for? I'm just asking, Zach, can you explain that to me? Because I'm just dumbfounded. The answer is they don't. And just quite simply, um, and you know, it's pretty disturbing. Um, this wasn't recently, but maybe a year ago I was on YouTube and you know how they have like the related videos. I wasn't looking up guns specifically, um, maybe indirectly for, you know, what we're doing to make things better. But basically there are gun enthusiast videos on YouTube and they'll have people that go out in the middle of nowhere and they'll have their latest toy, right? Because for a lot of gun owners, and I'm not trying to shit on them, I mean, it's great that they have something that they really enjoy, but I'm disturbed sometimes with some of the videos in the context that I'm seeing them, because what they'll do is they'll demonstrate to YouTube, because people you know want to know what the gun is before they buy it. They'll um, shoot a tree, or specifically they'll get, um, you know, like those punching guys, you know what I mean? like that are like the silhouette of a normal person. Mm -hmm. Like it's a mold of a person, you know, like when I was in karate, you you know, punching guy. Right. And, um, you know, a mold, you know, that's supposed to like, I don't know what it's called off the top of my head, but it's basically like this gelatin is supposed to mimic what the resistance of a human body is. Okay. So they're shooting these things. Um, they're shooting the head on these things or they're shooting a tree, the bark on a tree. And they're saying, man, imagine if that was some guy's head, you know, about it exploding and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's a person that's got an assault rifle and they're having a fantasy, Hmm. using their imagination, having a fantasy and saying it out loud about how it would be so funny or like, oh man, this thing's so powerful. (laughs) Imagine if that was a guy's head, it would have blown like a watermelon. You know, it, to me, it it's distasteful. I think it hits the point about why sometimes people own those kinds of weapons. Um, there's already problems with owning weapons at home, you know, with having children and stuff. And now with all of the stuff that you want to do to try to keep your family safe, it begs the question, why have a weapon at home if you have to get to the key to unlock it and all that? You know, it's it's, I don't know. To, but answer, specifically answer your question, I'm not entirely sure other than people that are not very good at hunting that don't see it as a sport in the sense of real aim, real, you know, like there could be people that go hunting truly because they're really bad aim and they're like, oh, look, I got an elk, you know, I put 37 bullets in it. Um, I don't, you know what? I just have to say when Norma's alive, I never heard of such a thing. I, I don't know that much about hunting. I don't know a little bit about it. But what we're talking about here is not outlawing guns. We're talking about gun control. Gun control. What guns are legal to buy? What process do you have to go through to buy these guns? How can we screen out some of these people that should not have guns? Mm -hmm. And how can we keep it safer? Because first off, I, I mean, unless I can find a reason why a semi-automatic rifle should be you should be sold legally, I think they should be outlawed. So we're talking about, I want to say this again, gun tr- control, not outlawing guns. We're not saying no one should have a gun and no one but should But why do you need an assault rifle as a defense weapon? That's exactly my point. I mean... Let's let's decide somewhere in the That's middle. That's something that a soldier carries. Exactly. And a soldier 
is using that either to defend our country locally or to go on excursions abroad. And I watched recently a video of um, unfiltered video of Ukrainian soldiers fighting on the line against um, mm-hmm. Russians. It's like, man, it is it is something else. I should show you that show that to you. I wish I would have shown that to you before. Um, we, we did this. The other thing I want to mention, and we can come back to anything that you also you want to talk about. I just want to head on before I forget. Have you heard of 3D printed guns? I don't know what 3D printed guns are. So a 3D printer is basically, it's like um, a CAD file and you're like, okay, you're speaking in French still to me. CAD stands for computer aided drafting. So basically you can download the instructions to print a gun at home. What does that mean? It means that, and they're open source too, um, it means that you can buy plastic and an extruder and a table that moves around, that's what a 3D printer is, and you um, plug these these um, CAD files into the software and you can print all the parts you need for a gun. And that's kind of a misnomer just to be clear because um, it's not absolutely everything. There are some metal pins and things that like you need to order online like a box of those. But the bottom line is, I watched this whole video, um, I think a couple years back, I don't remember how many years back, maybe two or three years back, they had their first meetup, uh, people that have 3D printed guns. Um, and uh, basically, they had working assault rifles that were made basically in part out of plastic. And it's pretty crazy. Um, so that's the other problem to this, is when we talk about gun, tr- gun controls, it's not just... Mm-hmm. people, you know, buying the metal versions that are made in the, fabricated in the factory. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this is um, in Colorado here, there's a company called Magpul, Magpul Industries, and they produce um, magazines for guns. And I'm not sure if they also make guns too, but anyways, they almost got thrust out of Colorado because um, they, uh, well, first there was a law that was passed in Colorado that said that you can't, um, manufacture extended clips. And so Mac Paul complied with that, but then Colorado just in general wanted a company like that out of Colorado. And I'm not sure if they ended up moving to a different state or not, or if they're still here, but they did end up moving from where they were previously. Um, but, um, yeah, I only mentioned that cause apparently in Colorado, you know, it depends on where you are at, but in our area, we're in a very blue area. There are parts of Colorado there where, that are definitely red, more in the rural areas, but um, they were not happy to have a company like that there, even after they uh, agreed to stop producing um, extended magazines. Well, I think that um, if someone is really wanting an assault rifle, they can do buy it, buy it black market. I get that. It's like we can't totally stop it. But I'm saying that the laws, gun laws, need to be changed for assault rifles. I really believe that would help a lot. I think it would save people's lives because assault rifles are different than just a gun that shoots. I mean, you can still kill people, obviously, but it doesn't fire the rapid rounds. And that's when you can take so many people down. At least people maybe have a better chance to take cover and to protect themselves. But when you're going in there with a rapid firing rifle, 
that can put people down one shot after another. It's, it's really, I think it's, it's really, um, it's it's an unfair game to those that really think that's cool because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're thinking of it as a hunt or you're, it's a game in your head, it's not a fair hunt. Let me just put it that way, because you've got a gun that isn't even not a fair gun. You must not be that good a shot if you think you need a rapid, rapid fire uh, rifle anyway, because if you're really good, you could just shoot people one after the other uh, by pointing it. But at least, you know, I'm saying I think it would cut back on on some of the deaths is where I'm I'm headed. It's he- something heading in the right direction, you know, but I just I'm I become so offended with you know, this whole gun thing that's been going on forever and ever and ever. And like, dear God, why do we need the those semi-automatic rifles? Why do we even need to be talking about gun control? Unless, you know, we... It's simply because of the fact that people are being killed. A large number of people are being killed by people who use guns to kill them. And guns, yes, I know for mm-hmm. military, they're meant for that. But really, I guess there's people out there, I know there's people out there that want to kill other people, and we're not going to get into that whole topic. But we simply do not need these. And, um, you know, it's it's very d- disturbing to me that, as you said, Zach, what you brought up a few minutes ago about all of the mass shootings just in schools. It just mm-hmm. makes me sick because, thank God, my kids are grown up because I'll tell you what. Scary world. If I were a mom sending my kid to school today, I, honest to God, I, I would say, is my kid going to come home safe or are they going to end up getting killed in school? That is really sad because your children should be protected when they're in school for their education there's absolutely no excuse why we've got to be faced with this in our nation. And uh, the fact that it is like, well, it's not fair. It's, it's not fair to take this away from people. Well, I'll tell you what. It's not fair, and it makes me pissed off. It's not fair that people lose their fucking lives mm-hmm. or members of their family to someone who goes on a rampage because they're so fucking mad at this world. Yeah. And, and they want to take down as many people as they can. That's right. And then... Going back to the original topic about the injustice, someone that becomes highly publicized for doing what they did in Boulder, they end up in a mental institution, and so they're they're protected in their own way. Or like Zach said at the beginning, someone who has money, they buy their way out. What about the middleman person that could be convicted of a crime that they did not do Mm -hmm. because... It's just not that big a deal. And we just need to find, we just need to find someone to charge with this. Then we can forget about the whole thing. Yeah. And we should revisit the whole emotionality versus the logic of the court case at the end. So I'll I'll make a note of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Logic versus emotion. Because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty upsetting to me when I read this uh, because I would think, of myself, where I think of a loved one being locked up for years and them saying, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. Well, you know, you're not heard. But um, I think that could lead right into the emotional aspect of this. Like, 
how many emotion, emo, how does emotion play a huge role in people being convicted of a wrongfully convicted? Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned schools, workplaces. What about churches? Oh God, there's been so many churches, you know, um, and, um, also what should be of concern is, um, you know, radicalized people that go in and shoot up a church that, um, are you okay? Okay. Um, that go in and, and they uh, shoot up a church that's, um, people that are practicing, you know, LGBTQ, you know, that, um, basically, you know, they're, they're there and, uh, you know, it says in the Bible, I guess, you know, that they're not allowed to, um, you know, believe in God or, or, um, you know, practice Christianity because, you know, it's, it's such a problem, you know, um, it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I think that, you know, uh, LGBTQ churches are a target and then also hospitals as well. Hospitals are another place that, um, you know, should be sacred. It should be a place of, of safety and comfort. And yet, um, what we see time and time again, unfortunately, is that people find a way to, um, decide that they want to take out their anger on the world and they go into, um, a place of worship or a place of healing, um, to take out as many people as possible before they kill themselves. And it's often, you know, a very cowardice thing that they, that they pull. But, um, but we will um, revisit here in the logic and emo- sorry the uh, logic versus emotion of court cases. Um, another thing we'll talk about before we're done is knowing your rights um, when you are arrested because that's super important. If you don't know the law and if you don't know, um, like for instance, if a cop pulls you over on the road, they're not allowed to reframe um, the reason for why, why they originally pulled you over. And yet that still happens. And then we also discuss the Innocence Project because um, the Innocence Project is a pretty neat um, thing where basically, um, just to state it briefly without going into it, but um, basically it's a nonprofit that helps people that are in jail that have been wrongfully convicted um, basically fight for their innocence. And so that's something that... Um, it's super important, you know, there's not enough of that because not everyone can afford their own, um, their own defense lawyer. And, you know, unfortunately public defenders, like I said, the system is just completely taxed in a way that is just not very helpful to, um, to people that are trying to receive legal counsel and, um, defend themselves. So, yeah, I mean, you know, churches, so why don't we talk about churches first, because it really has been a big deal. I mean, obviously, I think that's the other thing that comes to mind, even more than hospitals, fortunately. I mean, of course, there's the Unabomber and that sort of thing, but um, for the most part, I think hospitals, there's not been a ton that I've heard of of people shooting up hospitals, but I'm sure it still does happen, Mm -hmm. even if it's not on my radar. But, um, you know, there are churches out there that, um, you know, practice Christianity or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that are LGBTQ, that are, are a prime target for people that 
don't believe in that and believe that they need to punish people so radicalized. Just, just like the nightclub fairly recently in Denver. Mm-hmm. You know, nightclubs and, is another one. Yes, uh, because that was gender related as well. Remember yeah. that was that was gender related. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think that's huge. <clears throat> So what do you have about churches? Do you have any statistics? Because, you know, you're in the house of worship and, oh my God, that is just, it's a satanic thought to me to walk into a place of worship and open fire on people. Yeah, you know, and you hear people are just wanting to have the opportunity to practice their, their beliefs, you know, and in a free and open manner, just just like how you're allowed to, you know what I mean? And um, if you don't believe in in uh, that, but people with their, uh, you know, specific, um, what am I trying to say? That So what I'm trying to say is that they, everyone should have a right. I think it's an individual journey, you know, when it comes to your creator and, and that sort of thing. And so I don't know why people get so upset about it. You know what I mean? Like, like written in the Bible, I understand for the purpose of procreation and stuff, but you know, if two people love one another, why does that bother you so much? You know? Absolutely. It's just, yeah, that's to me, like I said, I mean, schools is satanic, satanic to me as well, but I think churches, it's like, that is really crushing when people in there worshiping God, whatever that might be with whatever religion it is. Cause I know that we've done a little religion here before and that's not going to really, we're not going to go into that, but there, you should never have to worry. Let me just say it this way. You should not have to worry when you send your kids to school. You should not have to worry when you're going to church and you're minding your own business and you're doing your own thing. And uh, someone decides they want to target a specific church, school, whatever, nightclub, and go in. And, and for the purpose, you know when they're entering with a semi-automatic rifle, they're in to kill, right? So yeah. you're absolutely right, Zach, about churches. Um, that's all I all I have to say about that, that that just is heart wrenching to me that honestly, the coldness that comes with that. Yeah. And OK, so let's just hit on this real quick. Police and guns. So as I recollect, OK, and I watched a lot of cops, the show mm-hmm. Cops mm-hmm. in the early 90s when I was a young kid. OK. And. Um, I remember a time, okay, I honestly think it was in the past 20 or 30 years where a suspect would be firing on officers. Mm-hmm. Officers would never return fire. Yeah. Unless they killed one of their own, unless they killed an innocent person, then they might open fire and switch cheese them. But nowadays it occurs to me, a person's not even armed, not even armed. Okay. They don't even have a weapon. Mm, happened several times. Mm-hmm. I think of the case where, you know, people that are just stopped on the side of the road for something. I'm not saying that officers have an easy job and they're tired of seeing their kind, their family Absolutely. getting killed. Mm-hmm. But by today's standard, when they fire on a suspect, it's not just to incapacitate them. I think just in Louisville here, mm. there was a gentleman that um, apparently the wife or the mother called the cops on her husband and her husband had like a butcher knife in his hand. He was actually, him, he himself bleeding, 
not the wife. He not had the kids. stab wounds. He had stab wounds. Yeah. Okay. The officers show up. Um, according to reports, uh, he lunges at them or something, and they return fire. Three and, of them at the same time, three cops. Yeah, and I think they put like 30 bullets in them or something. And by the way, why don't they just shoot him in the leg or something? You know, they they switch cheese this guy. He dies, by the way. And um, I'm thinking to myself, when I was reading that, that press release that um, Louisville Police Department put out, they said uh, that um, they were returning fire. And I thought, man, they're really framing that situation incorrectly. Returning fire. When you return fire, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an English semantic you know, uh, professor or something. But it occurs to me that returning fire means that you're shooting back at a suspect if they're shooting at you. So when you're saying that they returning, they're returning fire on him. What the hell does that mean? Uh, to me, it means that they're that that the suspect is shooting at them or something, which just doesn't doesn't make sense in this case. Um, so there are already plenty of examples of police and guns. Um, you know, also officers that um, mean to pull out their taser and they pull out their gun. Um, they panic in the moment and they end up killing a suspect and it's just over stupid shit. You know, it's not even like the suspect. And a lot of times it's because they're of color, which, you know, why are white people so afraid of black people? Probably because the way we've been treating black people all these years, maybe we feel like there's a reckoning or something. I don't get why, you know, just because you're born black, um, that you have to be trained by your parents to keep your hands on the wheel, keep your hands visible, you know, make sure you don't talk black, make sure you sound white, make sure you sound educated, that sort of thing. But, um, so if you're ready to move on, I think we should just talk, uh, quickly about court cases and about how, um, prosecutors, um, you know, choose juries. No, that's totally and, okay. I just want to make a quick comment because I yeah. just, I hadn't looked up in a long time. Um, well, now it's not going to let me do it, but <clears throat> that actually happened last October 23rd in a domestic violent incident in Louisville, Colorado, where, which Zach was talking about, where the man was stabbed and they shot him. Well, as of December, I'm just looking just to catch myself up here. As December of 2022, there have been no charges against any police officers. And I did watch um, that news brief on that. And they were trying to get through because the news media was all over the place and they were asking a lot of questions. They said, we can't, we can't release any more information at this time. To me, this has been hush, hush. Like yeah. nothing has ever come out about that. Um, except that it says here that the officers are placed on administrative leave during the investigation per de department policy, which is just the policy to begin with. But it doesn't look like they're going to be charged. Now, like Zach said, the old, I mean, just because I didn't have an opportunity to really give my two cents worth. Why is this kind of just shuffled aside? Okay, well, there's been no charges. When they said in that news brief that they would be following up with the people in the community to let them know what was happening yep. with it. No, they did not. Yep. I don't watch the news, but I will tell you that there was nothing in our community that 
we know about that came up where they said, okay, this, we had to do this. These are the people that were involved. These are their names. Mm -hmm. And this is what we determined in our investigation. As a matter of fact, what they do a lot of times is they withhold names intentionally because then you don't even know who you have to go after. Like the public can't be outraged because they don't know who did it. Right. So, you know, I just have to say, I just commenting and then we can move forward. Just commenting on what you said, Zach, with that. I do know that um, this man that uh, they shot had stab wounds. So obviously he was somewhat minimized with what he could do and incapacitated. But I agree. Why don't we just go after the legs or and not just three police officers firing at someone? Um, Swiss chasing them in a lot of cases. We're not more than 10 bullets. The question I have about that is why did the guy have stab wounds? I mean, did he stab himself or did his, I don't know. He got killed in his, he got killed in his own home. Yeah. So, I mean, all I have to say is I'm not clear on that one. And that's what bothers me, I guess, is because if Something is not written up that clarifies what happened after you know this happened in this small town. Then it makes me think there's a cover up because it is a cover up. If last December they said that no one's been, they just said no, no police officer has been arrested. In they don't tell us the names escape. of the officers either. Yeah, but I will tell you. Well, I think they did at the briefing. I may be mistaken, but no, we, they didn't. They didn't. Regardless of any of that. It's almost like, okay, enough time's passed, everyone will forget. So we don't have to talk about it. And that's all I wanted to say, because it's just, um, they cleared the three, they cleared the, poli- the, the three police officers last December. How did that happen from October to December? They got cleared, who knows? But that's just what we know. So, you know, but yet, if they're really trying to accuse someone who maybe didn't do something, it's highly publicized. Well, my God, this person did this. And, and actually, the media loves to cut loose on that because there's things that are reported that may not be quite accurate. And the other thing, and then we'll move on, that comes to mind is, Zach, how does that person even get a fair trial? Because if the media is out there publishing, oh, this person had this, like... Um, maybe they're just writing in extra things to really kind of give you a visual about it or to, it, it may not be actually the hundred percent truth. So I wonder how someone even gets a fair trial. And that's all I wanted to say about that, because just all in all, do people get fair trials? Because the media is out there with some of these stories and they say things which may or may not be true. Well, let me just say this. Where's the body cam footage? Ah, uh, yeah. From that situation. Yeah, right. If it was all cleared up, why don't you let the public decide about that? So true. Good so point. I'm I'm sure it was a cover up. I, I mean, my own personal opinion. I, I can't say for sure, but feel strongly that that was a cover up. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the logic um, versus emotion of cases. So mentioned earlier, if you got a lot of money you can get away with murder. I mean, I think a lot of people agree that O.J. Simpson was guilty of killing his wife. Um, and also local, JonBenet Ramsey, the Ramseys, killing their daughter. It was pretty cut and dry, I think, but they got off as well. They had good legal representation. Um, the other thing, though, too, is um, the defense and the prosecutors 
they make a decision about who they decide who they want to be on the jury. It's almost like picking teams, sort of. But um, I remember because I was on a jury before, and uh, everything was translated on the fly from English, from Spanish to English, um, because there were some people. Um, I don't know if they were illegals. I think the guy was legal, but um, the wife and kids might have been illegal. I'm not sure, but it involved a basically dispute because she was cheating on him. Um, he came out here first to the United States and uh, was sending money back to Mexico and then finally uh, got them out here and she was seeing another man and there was an altercation on their lawn and um, basically ended up gutting the guy. And then what was weird about it is they didn't call for an ambulance. They drove him to the... So anyways, it was it was a little little sus on my part or from my perspective, you know, hearing that. But anyways, I was chosen by the prosecutor because asked me, you know, um, what would you do in this case? And I said, depends. And so, you know, I think oftentimes they don't choose a person um, to, um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I am so sorry because I um, actually was looking something up here. Let me get out of here. I apologize about that. Okay. So sorry. Um, let me think of where I was. Um, oh, well, I, I was on the jury and um, they, they choose, they choose who they want to be on the jury to win their case. Not, not as necessarily a person that's going to be objective. And, um, but anyways, what I was going to say is, you know, they say that these court cases are, you know, played out logically. But oftentimes they're not. You know, the, the prosecutor oftentimes uses emotional appeal. You know, if you, um, I'm trying to forget what they're, they're called, um, but, you know, the ethos, logos, uh, pathos, you know, they often resort to ethos or, or you know, the um, emotional side of the argument. And even in politics today, a lot of it's based on emotion. It's not based on, you know, the substance of things. Um, and I think a lot of that ends up getting into court cases. And unfortunately, people are losing court cases because even the jury are emotional people. They're, they're looking at the emotions of it. Because mm -hmm. when I was on that jury, we um, couldn't come to an agreement because... You know, they say, well, you know, here's the law, here's how it applies, you know, who's, is the suspect guilty of this or not? And they, and even the judge beforehand said, you know, this man's presumed innocent before proven guilty, but the prosecutor spends a lot of effort to discredit a person's character, which is a, which is an, you know, emotional argument more than an illogical one, since the jury doesn't know this person personally, but they're making a decision about the person. So I think it's, um wrong that that's what happens in court cases. And I think it's a reason why a lot of people that are in a, innocent end up getting uh, charged with crimes is because um, that and also um, people, uh, the stigma of certain races and, and certain situations. So you're saying basically just to close the books, let's move forward. We got the case solved. Whether or not is it is the actual person who was responsible or not. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about this. Know your rights. What does that mean? Okay, so for instance, if you're arrested or if you're pulled over, 
you need to know what what police officers are allowed to what they're allowed to do. So, for instance, if they pull you over because you have a taillight out, mm-hmm. they cannot call for canines to come right. to sniff for drugs. Mm-hmm. They can't. Like they have to make it clear. They have to tell you why they're pulling you over. And if they pull that shit, okay, let's say that you do have drugs. I don't know, but you probably could have to thrown out of court because that's a false reason for why they even pulled you over. You know, they can't find incidental crimes. They have to have probable cause of, of this specific crime. And that's just our right as Americans. Um, you also have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. What does that mean? In that earlier example, when I was talking about that guy, they were trying to get him to talk without a lawyer, very simply put. Mm-hmm. And they were also trying to pressure him into admitting guilt without a lawyer. That is criminal. I think when a detective is found to be un- acting unethically and not objectively like that, they should be not just, um, I don't know, same thing with prosecutors. Because prosecutors have quotas. DAs, they love that shit. They lap that shit up. They, they you know, in, in the privatization of jails, let's talk about that real quick. In America, there's privatization of jails and prisons. What does that mean? It means that they are not ran by the government, but they are paid. And we as taxpayers pay for this stuff. So essentially, you know, more people that are in jail, the, um, the more money that's made. Mm-hmm. And statistics, what is it? About 90% of people in jail are there for drug-related offenses. That's even the wrong place to be, to send people for drug well, problems. And if you really look at the statistics, I would say probably over 90% originally, the people that are in jail originally got there by using drugs it's it's illegal things that they did like theft and things like that that got them in jail to begin with so it's usually based upon that and if they would (coughs) look at it from a a different perspective of treatment versus incarceration i think a lot more people could overcome that disease and um yes i mean if someone does something like murder or something like that but i think if it's a theft or something it is part of that disease. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying, hey, what we're doing now is not working because people are are re-entering the jails all the time and reoffending, and it usually is drug related. So, just wanted to just because that's what I do for a living. Just wanted to say that's really true. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, Nixon's war on drugs is a failed war. Mm-hmm. It's just like us going to Afghanistan and or the war on terror. That's just a way for us to perpetuate wars so America can remain, remain a rich country. You know, all these proxy wars and over, you know, um, oh, I don't know, resources, opium and oil, as I would say it, the two O's. But um, yeah, know your rights because you also have the right to remain silent. In other words, if a detective is questioning you and you're silent, you decide to remain silent, you have that right, even if they try to make you feel uncomfortable for being mm-hmm. silent. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can. You can say not a fucking word to them. You also have the right to your Fifth Amendment. 
right? To not self-incriminate. Right, right. So the problem is none of us, many of us are not law majors, okay? And you know what? Another part I wanted to say real quick. Do you know how many of us probably commit crimes every day that we don't even realize that are laws? Because laws are ever-changing. Case <laughs> law ever changes. You know, that's the, that's the funny part. I'm not saying about anything um, malevolent or anything, you know, intentionally. But I'm just saying, you know, uh, how, how that probably happens. Well, if you want to look at something very simple, jaywalking is yeah. a misdemeanor, okay? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can think about it and go, how many people jaywalk across? I jaywalk. Come on. Yep. Uh, basically, the, the main takeaway, and we want to end, end with the Innocence Project, but basically the bottom line is this. I believe the justice system is a failed system in, mm-hmm. my, own, in my own mind. Why is it a failed system? It keeps people in the system. It does not rehab pe- people in the system. You think people with drug issues, you think that they're better rehabbed in a jail? or receiving the help that they need. And I'm not saying that jails don't have programs with counselors to help them with that, you know, um, including, you know, Medicaid-assisted therapy and all that, but it's still not enough, you know. It's the wrong place. Should a person with drug problems be placed alongside rapists and murderers? I don't think so. No, definitely not. And, you know, again, I think we need to rethink that um, especially we need to really look at the person's history. They certainly look at a person's history of how many times they've offended, but they don't look at that person's history to see if most of it's drug-related. If that's the case, say it's for theft and it's drug-related, well, they keep going back to jail. Oh, you stole again. Well, you're going to jail. Bottom line is it's not working. That person needs treatment. Okay, maybe they're not ready. Maybe they're not not motivated nor have the willingness to be ready. But regardless, give them an opportunity. Putting them in jail is just delaying things because, and let's face it, there's drugs in prison. There's drugs in jail. They're brought in all the time. So and they actually get very crafty with it. Yes. And I'm not saying there's not drugs brought in treatment centers. There are. Okay. But to actually try to find a place, a treatment center where is much better than being sent to prison. It equals more of what is wrong with that person. But there's all these prejudgments of the stigma of certain things and chemical dependency happens to be one of them. And it just is really bothersome. They're some of the most creative. They're some of the most incredible people you'd ever meet in the world. It's just that it is a disease of the brain, which I'm not going to go into talking about that, but I'm just saying the Crime does not affect, does not... Put the punishment. Yes, exactly. Because you know what? If we were to look at that differently. So um, the other thing I just wanted to say is that even though someone also, just openly, even though someone has already served their time for something that they've done and they've been released, they may, may even still be on parole, whatever, but they've been released from prison, say they reoffend. They look back in their records. Okay, can you honestly believe, yes, a lot of people may reoffend because they don't have life skills to be able to live in the community. There are also people who can change and who really look at their life when they're in prison. And there's a lot of opportunities in prison that people can learn about themselves and they can learn trades and things of that nature while they're there to better themselves. 
So where I'm going with that is, can we really say <laughs> just because someone did this that they, oh, they're automatically, they automatically did this. They have a right to be tried for whatever they've done at that time. I think if they've served their time for something, that that should be totally wiped off. I mean, not it's going to be on the record. I'm not saying necessarily wipe off the record, but I don't think that that old, old um, violation should be brought into the into that case because it mm-hmm. doesn't apply. That's that's one other thing I want to say. One other thing we didn't talk about is judges and warrants. Mm-hmm. Judges sign off on just whatever they want a lot of the time. There are loopholes where they have judges that they're friendly with outside of work and stuff that they can get, they can do things that are not really truly well, legal. And I actually do know that judges have a lot of power. Like mm-hmm. a judge can actually come up with their own criteria to a case. And if another judge steps in and takes it over, they can change that. And I think, I think that's criminal because I think as much as we don't want to believe this, we're all human beings. And I believe there's some people that can come in there with an attitude. A judge can come in there with an attitude of belief of whether or not that person's guilty mm-hmm. and they can use, that's the emotional part you're talking yeah. about. They can reuse that emotional part. They can be wrapped up in the case emotionally to the point that they do not try them fair. And I think that it's because we're human. Yeah, because we're human we're telling, beings. We're saying that we're going to turn off emotion and only do logic. There's no way. It's just like how humans, you know, we suck at nuance. So we either say it's A or B. Mm-hmm. You know, we're dichotomous in our decision making, you know, about things. We don't understand that there's nuance and that there's a human being behind that. And behind every human being, there's a story too. Absolutely. And we're storytellers. Okay. So what happens if you're accused of a crime and you end up in jail? And you're truly innocent. Well, you're kind of screwed, right? By traditional standard, you're kind of screwed because public defenders, they do their part, but they're so taxed. They've got so many clients. They make so little money on each case. It's hard for them to have a personal emotional investment. Um, there, I use the word emotional again. Um, to have a vested interest in their client and really, if they say they're innocent, there are a lot of public defenders that say, take the plea bargain. Absolutely. Because do you want to know what? They are overtaxed. And they know each other. And, they all know each other. Yeah. The, the attack, the the um, the DA and those defense attorneys, they know mm-hmm. each other outside. So they'll, you know, they might go into the bathroom and, and say, you know, hey, get, let's come on. You got You can do better than that. Give, 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 it, give it, make it one year or something. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So I agree with you. I don't think it, it's it's fair. They can appeal their case, but that generally takes two years after they. So that, what in that time they have to spend it in jail? They have to spend it in prison. If they say they go from jail to prison, say that they're charged, they go to a trial. It's two year period. It's usually it takes about two years to appeal it, and um, you can appeal your case, but then you've got to start all over again with a trial and all of that. And so, basically. Um, what I think Zach's leading into is there's actually... Um, and hopefully in the meantime, don't get prison shanked. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's the other thing, what happens. But anyway, there is a, a, uh, a website called Innocence Project um, that prevents wrongful convictions and um, create fair, compassionate, equitable systems for justice everywhere. This was actually founded in 1992 by Barry C. Sheck. 
and Peter J. Neufeld at the Benjamin N. Cardano-Zonzo School of Law at Yeshiva University. The organization is now an independent nonprofit. So our work is guided by science and grounded in anti-racism. So um, there's this. There's a lot on this website if you want to read more about it. But uh, actually, they are proactive in helping people that are wrongfully accused. Yeah, and specifically, what they offer essentially is free legal counsel. Um, so in other words, they will do the investigative work. Like, so let's say if there's something with DNA evidence mm-hmm. or something, they'll get it tested by the lab. And um, but specifically, they will help defend you. They'll help appeal to get you released and things like that. And that's a very rare thing. I'm glad that there are things like that out there. Um, let me let me say one other thing real quick. I know it's it's off topic, but I want to mention it. You know. Remember I was telling you the other day about um, the 13-year-old boy that got raped by his um, his uh, babysitter, 20, 20-year-old mm-hmm. babysitter? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention this because it was so ridiculous. So anyways, he gets raped by his babysitter, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, six years pass. Almost seven, okay? Why is the number seven come to mind? Well, that's statute of limitations, they believe, right? So anyways, this woman rapes, essentially, the person that she's sitting, this young boy. And in today's, in, in, in you know, U.S. culture, at least, we're told men always love sex. There's no way that guys don't love sex. So I'm not saying that that's not generally true, but I think that's kind of inappropriate for a 20-year-old babysitter to rape a 13-year-old boy. So anyways, what happens is she waits six years and they decide that he owes $15,000 and back to child support because she doesn't get an abortion. And he's not even part of this kid's life. He doesn't even know that this kid exists. He's now 19 or 20 himself. <coughs> he has no custody or anything like that. And now he owes all this money. Mm-hmm. She intentionally waited out the clock so she wouldn't get prosecuted for um, uh, statutory rape. And guess what? They decided she was right. Why? Because the welfare of the child outweighs any other factor, even though in this case, this boy was raped. You know, another thing that I feel is very unfair is, yeah, for sure, men do rape women. Okay, that is that is true, 100%. But here you've got the case of a female raping a male. That does happen. Yeah, it does. And you know what? We're amiss, uh, remiss to um, think that that doesn't happen. And it's the same thing as, um, you know... It, <laughs> Basically, if you were a guy and you go to a police station and say, I've got an abusive wife, you'll get laughed out of the office. Mm-hmm. You won't even be able to file the police report. So anyways, that's, I'm not saying that in a sexist way. I'm just saying that it's not a justice system of equality. There are all of the constructs that make up our society and the things that we believe and the stereotypes that we believe just like how black people are always violent, which is not always true. 
Um, yeah, that's not always true. Yeah, or rarely true. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, again, there are some evil MFers, MFers out there for sure, but it's not uh, for sure one-to-one all the time. But anyways, yeah, the Innocence Project, just want to mention that is an option for people that, uh, not that you'd be listening to this podcast, because, but just to keep in your hip pocket if, you know, you are in jail and you're like, man, I'm innocent and I can prove this and that, that's an organization to reach out to. And of course, if you have a lot of extra time, which you probably would, um, if, and they're supposed to provide these resources to inmates, um, a lot of them have libraries and hopefully access to law libraries to read on case law. If you spend the time and do your research, just like reading research papers in science, like, you know, because I do research, anyone can read a research paper and understand what it what it means with some basic statistics, understanding statistics. Right. I just wanted to mention that I was on the Innocence Project's website, and it, on Monday, April 26th, that's uh, this coming Monday, um, they're having, um, in celebration of World DNA Day, our forensic policy analyst, Karen Belt will answer questions about the role of DNA testing and forensic science in the criminal legal system. Uh, learn more about DNA and evidence has helped free innocent people and how the misuse of forensic science can contribute to wrongful contributions, or I mean, sorry, convictions. Um, say, say, tune in on Innocence Project's Instagram to ask your questions or leave a question in the comment below and join us Monday to hear it answered. So if you have someone who is in jail right now or in prison right now and you want more information about DNA, that's upcoming on Monday. So just wanted to give you a heads up for that. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad there are organizations like that. Are, they're out that, uh, sorry, out there. God, I'm getting tired. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long three weeks. Um, there are a lot of organizations out there like that that um, have the potential to help you. And if you don't know they exist, then um, how can you expect them to help you? So, you know, just um, just realize that there are there are good people out there in the world. There are good organizations out there in the world that are there to make the world a better place and a more equitable place. And it's, and just looking at this website, it looks like they're really active and involved, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So it seems like... There, if you were to want to really um, research the website and look for, there's a lot of questions that are answered just by just clicking on this. It looks like you can learn a lot about it, but it also looks like you may be able to get involved with, um, you know, having some questions answered and um, may be able to learn some things about your case or a loved one's case and, uh, how to how to do, to go about things because that's really the big thing. Like especially after someone is prosecuted for a charge, um, and, and it's sent, really hard to get out of jail. Yeah. The appeal process and is sent, really sent to DOC. Like I was saying, <clears throat> the appeals takes a couple of years. So just anyway, um, just know this is out there. And you know, if you're doing a lot of research, I'm sure there may be other places as well. But this, I'm really kind of impressed with this because it looks like they really are really active, yeah, and and really doing what they are there to do. There's there was a documentary um, that I watched about some person that was wrongfully convicted that reached out to the Innocence Project and actually got him off. He was already in jail at that point, I think, for twelve or fifteen years, and the in the case it was not cut and dry. It was you know dare I say, hearsay that was mm-hmm. involved in mm-hmm. his conviction and definitely um, maybe some racial um, 
uh, on the part of the jury. I don't know if it went to trial or not. I think it did. So anyways, um, yeah, just know that that's out there. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic resource. Anyway, I just wanted to say, I think we're, I think we're ready to wrap up. What do you think? Oh yeah, we're done. Um, but anyway, we've really missed you guys a ton. Um, as Zach was saying, this COVID really kind of got to us and it was just like, we had a lot of the long COVID with the really the, the fatigue, the chronic fatigue. And, and I was throwing up a lot. Yeah. And so <laughs> it got us pretty badly, but we really kept thinking about you and we go, we got to do a podcast. So we're back and we're going to be doing them regularly again. Unless something unforeseen happens, just as COVID kind of just hit both of us pretty much at the same time. But uh, yeah, we hope that you'll check out our website and, um, you know, it's available to sign up on. And Zach will give you that information in a moment since he's the one who does the website. But we'd like to hear from you. And again, uh, the whole point about doing this, and I'm going to say this for every one of our podcasts, is creating a connection, an open connection where you have a voice. And um, we even will be very interested in anyone who wants to become involved um, in polychromatics, um, a mission here of, of connecting with others. And if you have a story you want to share, something like that, please let us know. We eventually hope that we can have more of a type of interactive phone um, communication or something of that nature to bring into this where we can even make it easier to get a hold of us. And we can actually maybe do some of that um, while we're doing our podcast, which I think would be pretty amazing. But for now, you're more feel, please feel more than free to contact us if you have any comments about today's podcast, any of the ones behind, that we've done prior to this, or if there's simply a topic that you would like us to talk about that you're interested in, please let us know. We definitely will do that. Yeah. And if you're checking us out on all the major platforms, you know, Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, find us, um, you can find us out on the web at polychromatique.com. That's P-O-L-Y-C-H-R-O-M-A-T-I-Q-U-E.com where you can find all the latest episodes. Um, we just wanted to say uh, thank you so much for your continued support. Um, and we appreciate your patience and understanding while we got back on our feed here and, um, you know, get more on, on a regular schedule with things. So, um, until next time, uh, be well, and, um, we'll see you next time. Peace and love everyone. Take care. Love you.